Welcome to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. I'm Meredith Curtis. Welcome to Finish Well Podcast. This is episode 163. We are on part two of the ultimate extravagant USA road trip. We are going to visit the Middle Atlantic states and the New England states. Today, I'm your tour guide, and we are going to learn U.S. geography the fun way on a road trip. So pack your suitcase, grab your gear, and let's go. Yes, today is going to be a whirlwind tour, but we're still going to experience a couple of the busiest cities and in the country and historic sites. We'll visit some beautiful places. Don't forget your jacket. It can sometimes get chilly up here in the Northeast. Let's start out our trip in the Chesapeake Bay. We'll head up to Baltimore, then on to Dover Air Force Base, to Philadelphia, Cape May, and Niagara Falls. From there, we'll hit the New England states. I thought a sailboat would be the perfect way to see the Chesapeake Bay. The Chesapeake Bay is the largest estuary on the continent. And I don't know if you remember from the last episode, we talked about an estuary is where salt water and fresh water meet and so there's kind of a mixed habitat for all kinds of fish all kinds of you know sea creatures and plants it's just a very exciting place an estuary is a very exciting place and this is the largest one on the continent there's more than 300 species of fish shellfish and crab in the chesapeake bay Now, the Chesapeake Bay watershed has more than 150 rivers and streams. What is a watershed? Well, a watershed is an area where all of the rivers and streams flow into one place. So for the Chesapeake Bay watershed, this huge area, everything eventually flows into the Chesapeake Bay. Now, we know what happens with the watershed. It gives fertile soil. It gives water for drinking. It's just a wonderful, wonderful place. Now, in the Chesapeake Bay, as we're sailing along in our boat, you're going to see a lot of pleasure boats. People are just enjoying the bay. They might be in a motorboat. They might be kayaking. They might be sailing like we are, you'll also see people fishing, and you'll see fishing boats, commercial fishing boats in the bay too. And a lot of people go crabbing. Remember, we're here in Maryland. We're starting out in Maryland in the Chesapeake Bay. And what is Maryland known for? Blue crabs. And so, If you want to catch yourself some blue crabs, we can tie a chicken neck to some twine and toss it over the edge. Yep, that's the old-fashioned way to catch a blue crab. Now, one of the things that the Chesapeake Bay does is it creates a peninsula, and the peninsula is called the Delmarva Peninsula. Del, meaning Delaware, Mar, meaning Maryland, and Va, 
meaning Virginia. So this peninsula, they call the part of Maryland that's on the Delmarva Peninsula, the eastern shore. So this peninsula with Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia honestly has a culture all of its own. A lot of fishermen, a lot of farmers, and these are farms that have been in the in the family for generations, over centuries. Fishermen who have been fishermen for generations, crabbers who've been crabbers for generations. So it's a slower place. It's a more conservative place. A lot of people go to church. There's a culture there very oriented toward family, very oriented toward small towns. And it's really a neat place to visit because, like I said, it just has its own unique culture. There's a little island in the Chesapeake Bay close to the Delmarva Peninsula called Smith Island. And there's a cake, a Smith Island cake that has been popular for over a hundred years. I don't even know how old the recipe is, but it's a layer cake with this delicious chocolate icing. And that's a fun way to learn about a place is to find out what they eat. And of course, we'll have to have a big blue crab fest. Now, eating blue crabs is super messy. So we're going to line a table with newspaper and then we're going to crack those crab legs and eat them. It's really fun, but it's super messy. The last time I went to a Maryland blue crab fest, I went through about 45 napkins and I still had to go wash my face, my arms, my hands. So like I said, it is messy. The Chesapeake Bay, like I mentioned before, it is huge. And there are only two bridges that cross the Chesapeake Bay. So uh, there's the big Chesapeake Bay bridge and tunnel that's near the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay where it empties into the Atlantic Ocean. That's near Virginia Beach. But besides that one, the other bridge crosses around Annapolis, and that's also called the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. The other is the Chesapeake Bay Bridge and Tunnel. So those are the only two bridges that cross the Chesapeake Bay. Otherwise, you have to cross by boat, and you can cross by ferry. There's still ferries that run, and you can catch a ferry and go across. But it really isolates the Delmarva Peninsula, like I was talking about, which is why they have a unique culture. So as we go up the Chesapeake Bay, one of the first things we're going to pass as we're in Maryland, one of the very first things is the Potomac River. The Potomac River goes up through um, Maryland, Virginia, and it goes right up to the White House. And there is rumors that there are secret tunnels down from the White House to help the president escape in a boat get on the Potomac River, go downstream into the Chesapeake Bay, and then escape through the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know if those are true, but it's really fun to think about. There are two cities on the west side of the Chesapeake Bay that are really important cities in Maryland. Annapolis is the first one. Annapolis is the capital of Maryland. It's also home to the Naval Academy. But it has this amazing harbor. And if you have a map, just pull out the map, Google it, Google Annapolis 
and look at that beautiful harbor. And so Annapolis is definitely a town built around the Chesapeake Bay. People love to go sailing. They have sailing races. And it's really built around the Mar- uh, the Naval Academy as well as it's the Maryland seat of government. So it's a really neat place to visit. I love the Naval Academy. It's old and beautiful. Another amazing natural harbor is Baltimore. Baltimore is built on this amazing harbor. I can't even begin to describe it. Again, just take out a map. You can even Google map of Baltimore Harbor and just look at how huge it is, how many different offshoots it is. Now, the port of Baltimore, you'll see cargo ships going in and out of the port of Baltimore, and they are huge. They have these huge containers and the containers are filled and then they're put on these ships called cargo ships and they, it almost looks like a Lego toy because it's just flat with these huge (laughs) cargo containers and they come into the port at Baltimore and there are these huge cranes that lift the cargo containers off onto the port And then sometimes just right into the trucks, right into the the trains that carry them all over the world. So this is an international port, which means you have got goods coming in from all over the world and goods going out all over the world. So there's all kinds of, of course, red tapes because we have tariffs and things like that. But it's just a hustling, bustling place. But that's not the only thing in the harbor. The harbor has shops. It has docks for luxury cruises. It has boats. Docks were just normal people like you and me. We could, you know, pull up and and park our boat and go eat. It's also got a beautiful uh, place called the Riverfront where you can just see everything. It is really an exciting place to visit. And so we'll take some time and just even maybe spend a day just exploring And then we are going to head in a vehicle across the Bay, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. And when we get across in Delaware, we are going to go to Dover Air Force Base. So now we're in our second state. Dover Air Force Base is a huge base. And if you, Dover is also the capital of Delaware, which is really interesting. So you've got a government seat, but you've also got a huge military town. And it's just, again, it's a very exciting city. It has a unique feel with both of those things. So at Dover Air Force Base, they fix airplanes, they fly airplanes, and they prepare and deploy airmen. So it's where they do a lot of training of future pilots, and they move a lot of cargo. So like I said, it's just It's almost like a port, but of course, it's an airport, so all these things are coming in, all these things are going out. But one of the things that, as Americans, we know Dover Air Air Force Base for the most is that they return fallen heroes with dignity and honor. So when President Trump was president, he often flew in to meet the fallen heroes at Dover Air Force Base. And it's just a very precious thing to see um, these heroes return home. And they, they don't just, like, slap the coffins in. They, they're they just very honorable in the way they welcome them. 
and, you know, they salute them. There's flag draped coffins. It's very, very emotional. Now, if we want, if we have a family member in the Dover Air Force Base, we can spend the night. But if not, we'll just get a hotel somewhere in Dover. Once we finish in Dover, oh, wait, before we go, I want you to see the capital. Since we're in the capital, and capital can be spelled two ways. If capital ends in O-L, it means the building. And if it ends in A-L, it means the city. So this capital building is designed in a colonial revival style, and it's really beautiful. The original capital is called the Old State House, and that's a museum. And they sit right across from each other on a large green. It's just just really beautiful. So Dover is really close to the Delaware Bay. So we've been in a vehicle, but now we're going to go back to a boat because if you if you can look on a map, you'll see that a little bit north and east across from Dover, where Dover is on the Delaware Bay, you are going to see Cape May. And we are going to visit Cape May because Cape May is one of many seaside towns along the mid-Atlantic coast. They just, they're little seaside resorts all the way up the coast. So you can look at little seaside towns in Virginia. You can look on the eastern shore of Maryland. And then Delaware and New Jersey, it just goes straight up the east coast with these little seaside towns. But Cape May is very unique. And that's why I want um, to tell you about it. Cape May is on the southern tip of the Cape May Peninsula. It's in Cape May County, New Jersey, right where the Delaware Bay meets the Atlantic Ocean. So we've got the Chesapeake Bay, and then up a little further, we have this Delaware Bay. And like I said, it comes, it, it pours into the ocean right about Cape May, a little below, below Dover, so lower Delaware. And Kate, the Delaware Bay is super important for industry. It's super important for, for shipping, for so many of our financial interests in the United States. Now, there's a connection between the Chesapeake Bay and the Delaware Bay. It's called the Delaware Chesapeake, the Delaware Chesapeake Bay Canal. Now, that means ships can come in at Virginia Beach, go up the Chesapeake Bay, and slip in through the canal to the Delaware Bay and then go upriver. And we're going to talk about what's upriver um, because the Delaware Bay eventually turns into the Delaware River. But why would a boat do that? Why would a boat just not sail right up the coast? Well, in the ocean, the big Atlantic Ocean, there's there's storms. There can be rough passing. And so remember, we talked about the intercoastal waterway. Um, in the last episode and how protective that protected ships from the roughness that can sometimes happen when you're out in open sea. So that might be the same way if there's, it, it's just a little bit easier travel to be more inland than to be out in the Atlantic Ocean. So anyway, what makes um, Cape May, New Jersey so special? Well, it's one of the oldest resort destinations. The town has been around since the late 1600s, and as early as the mid-1700s, people would go to Cape May to relax and rejuvenate. Now, this is a very small town, but in the winter, 
sorry, it's a very small town for most of the year, but in the summer, it just is huge. So many people have summer homes there. They come to visit there. It becomes very crowded. Well, why does it become very crowded? Well, this is kind of neat how a disaster turned into a blessing. You see, what happened is that in 1878, there was a huge fire and it destroyed most of Cape May. Now, if you do know your history, you know that 19, 1878 is part of the Victorian age. And the Victorian age had this unique architecture and we'll refer to them as Victorian homes. So what happened is when they rebuilt the city since it was 1878, everything was rebuilt in the Victorian style. That means that Cape May has the second largest collection of Victorian homes. The, the largest collection of Victorian homes is in San Francisco, but this is definitely the largest collection along the East Coast in the eastern part of the country, and it's really, really beautiful. If you want to go online and just Google Cape May and the pictures come up, you'll see how unique it is and how precious it is precious it is. It's just a lovely place to visit. So that is our stop in New Jersey. We've gone from Delaware. We've gone from Maryland to Delaware to New Jersey. And now we're on our boat. We we're getting back on our boat from Cape May and we're traveling up the Delaware Bay. Soon it becomes the Delaware River. So we pass Smyrna, Middletown, and Newcastle on the Delaware side. And on the New Jersey side, we patch we pass Bridgeton, Salem, and Pennsville. Now, what's interesting is that the Delaware Bay and Delaware River create the boundary line between New Jersey and Delaware. It also gives Pennsylvania access to the Atlantic Ocean. Because if you think about it, Maryland is on the Atlantic Ocean Delaware is on the Atlantic Ocean. New Jersey is on the Atlantic Ocean. New York is on the Atlantic Ocean. But when you look at a map, it looks like Pennsylvania is inland. But because of the Delaware Bay, because of the Delaware River, then Pennsylvania actually has access to the Atlantic Ocean in a really easy way. And I mean access for huge cargo ships to travel into the Delaware Bay and up the Delaware River. So that is really important because it meant that Philadelphia in colonial times could become a huge, powerful city. They could have ships, which were the main mode of transport back in colonial time, traveling in and out through the Delaware River. So as we keep going, we're going to pass the ports of Wilmington, Delaware, Claymont, Delaware, and Chester, Pennsylvania. And as we pass those ports, we're going to see a lot of factories, a lot of refineries. This is, you know, this is big business. The Mid-Atlantic states, some of the most crowded cities in the whole United States, and a lot of business, a lot of factories, a lot of offices, a lot of headquarters of huge businesses are in these five states. It's just a it's a powerhouse financially, this area. And sometimes it can be a little ugly when you pass some of those factories. As the Delaware River continues, we're going upstream. We're going to come to the Port of Philadelphia, the Naval Shipyard, and the Port of Camden. So Camden is on the New Jersey side. 
and Philadelphia and the Naval Shipyard are on the Pennsylvania side. Since we're here at Philadelphia, I think that we should get off and not just a few blocks from the river is Independence Hall where they signed the Declaration of Independence. And we can also see the Liberty Bell. It's just right across the courtyard in another um, museum. And then we can go visit the Bishop White's house, Todd house. That's where um, Dolly Madison, her first husband's last name was Todd, the Betsy Ross house, Franklin Court, and the President's house. When George Washington was president, the capital of our nation was in Philadelphia. So Philadelphia is just an amazing, amazing place. And also while we're here, one thing Philadelphia is famous for is their Philly cheesesteak. So we're going to have to buy one. We're going to have to sit down and eat it. And then I thought, since we're so close to the Philadelphia International Airport, our next stop is in New York. It's Niagara Falls. So let's get on a plane. So you'll notice that the Philadelphia airport is an old airport. It's been around a long time, and it's huge, and it's very busy, a lot of traffic in and out. Buffalo is a lot quieter airport, but still busy. This, the mid-Atlantic states are busy. They are hustle, bustle. They are financially aggressive. This is a place where people don't say, howdy. They don't say, hey, y'all. It people are usually in a hurry because a lot of them are really active in their business. When we get to Niagara Falls, now we're in New York, it's in Buffalo. We are going to go visit this amazing site. My grandparents went to Niagara Falls on their honeymoon. It's always been a tourist attraction for several centuries. When we get there, we are going to see three waterfalls. And the largest one is called Horseshoe Falls, or some people call it Canadian Falls, and it straddles the international border of the two countries. So what do I mean by that? In other words, Canada's on one side and the United States is on another. And and right in the middle is Niagara Falls. A lot of times rivers form a boundary between nations or a boundary between states. So we could go really easily into Canada. We're just crossing over and we can watch the waterfall from the Canadian side. We can watch it from the American side. There's also a couple of smaller ones, Bridal Veil Falls and American Falls. So those islands and those waterfalls are both in New York. But while we're here up in Buffalo, we're very close to the Great Lakes, and we're going to talk more about them in our next Ultimate Extravagant Road Trip. But for right now, I'm just going to mention that two of the Great Lakes are right here. Lake Erie is to the south, and Lake Ontario is to the north. So we've got another nation, we've got two of the Great Lakes, and we've got this amazingly beautiful waterfall. This is a great place, and we could hang out here for a couple of days. We could go sightseeing and shopping. We could get to know Buffalo. We could explore Canada a little. But as soon as we're done with all that, we're going to get back into a car or a minivan and we are going to head east on I-90. See if you can find I-90 on a map, on a road map. Or again, you can Google it and look for I-90 in New York. 
we're going to jump off to I-91 to get to Hartford, Connecticut, and that's going to be our first stop in New England. Now, I want to say a little bit about the interstate highway system. In World War II, Germany built, before World War II, they built the Autobahn. It's this amazing transportation system that Hitler had built because he wanted to get troops from one place to another really quick. And it enabled them to travel and to wreak a lot of havoc, honestly. But when Eisenhower, who had been a general in World War II, was president, he said, you know what, we need an interstate system. The main purpose of the national interstate system is to be able to move troops from one place to another. If there's ever a national emergency, they would close down the interstate except for American military. And the American military would move from place to place. But of course, the major benefit for Americans, because we have not ever had a military disaster since it was built in the 1950s, but the major benefit for Americans is that you have this limited access highway and you can go all over. So when when you're going from north to south or south to north, those in the interstate highway system, those are numbered with odd numbers. The lowest number roads are on the west coast, and it gets higher as you travel east. When you're going from east to west, west to east, the interstate highway system has even numbers, and the lowest numbers are in the south. And they get higher as you get north. So that's why here we are in the northeast. We're going to be on 95, the highest numbers, and 91, the highest numbers. I mean, not 95, 90 and 91. Also, a little bit further over is 95, which we're going to get on in a little bit. So all of that to just realize that this is an, an incredibly simple system and it really imagine taking a vacation without the interstate system. It's really made life wonderful. And so there's so many things that as a result of a bad thing, Hitler, Hitler building the Audubon, we have this good thing, the American interstate system. So anyway, that's just a little aside. And now we're going to Connecticut and we're going to stop at Hartford. Now, Hartford is the capital of Connecticut. And it's home to the beautiful Connecticut State Capitol building. Remember, capital with an O-L at the end is the building, and capital with the A-L at the end is the city. So this is Connecticut's third capital building, and it was completed in 1878. That's really old for their third building, so that's pretty sturdy building. Hartford has always been Connecticut's capital, but did you know this is so interesting? Connecticut used to have two capitals. You see, Connecticut used to be New Haven, and Hartford. So New Haven was founded by Reverend John Davenport and Hartford was found by Reverend Thomas Hooker. So they were two little colony settlements. And so when they came together as Connecticut, they both thought their town was the best. And so they both wanted to have their capital there. So for many years, there were two capitals and two copies of every legal document. Can you imagine? This is not in the days of Xerox. So you just go 
copy all the documents. They had to be copied by hand. I just am amazed by that. So finally, in 1874, they decided that one capital city would be better than two. Now, another thing we're going to see besides the beautiful capital is the remains of the Charter Oak. Now, the Charter Oak is an interesting story. This was a huge white oak tree growing in Hartford, Connecticut, and it fell during a storm in 1856. Tradition says that the Connecticut's Royal Charter of 1662 was hidden in the hollow of the tree so that the English governor general wouldn't confiscate it. Well, the oak was a living symbol of the American Revolution, and it's commemorated in the Connecticut State Quarter. If you have a State Quarter collection and you see Connecticut, it's this huge oak tree. Well, what's interesting is that the Constitution of Connecticut was used as sort of a blueprint for our Constitution of the United States. So it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Anyway, what happened is that in 1856 there was a huge storm it downed the oak tree. Well, the people of Connecticut are very resourceful Yankees and you know the New England Yankees and they know how to pinch a penny and they work hard that Puritan work ethic. And so what they did is they turned the fallen tree into timber and they built a desk for the governor and a chair for the president of the Senate and a chair for the speaker of the house of Connecticut. So isn't that cool? So when you go into the Connecticut Capitol building, you can see the governor's desk is made of this charter Oak and the chair where the it's, the president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House sit is made of this Charter Oak. So that's just such a neat way to keep that Charter Oak alive and to use it in a practical way. Anyway, I just think Connecticut is a neat place. And if we had more time, we'd visit Connecticut. One thing to keep in mind is Connecticut people love horses. There are so many people who own horses in Connecticut. It's really, really interesting. You see a lot of people horseback riding. And we are going to move on now. We're going to go to Newport, Rhode Island. Now, in visiting Rhode Island, I thought, where should we go? Because Providence is the home to the first Baptist church in America, and it's the capital. But Newport, a little town on an island, is home to the Breakers. And it's this lavish house. It really was a summer cottage built by the Vanderbilt family. So I decided, you know what, let's go to Newport. We haven't really looked at any houses. We have looked at some architecture in Cape May, but we didn't really go inside a house. So we're going to go inside this Gilded Age mansion. Now, this mansion sits on 14 acres. There are 70 rooms. Yes, 70 rooms. There's a library, a billiard room, marble pillars, decorative ceilings and walls. It's decorative by, if you've ever been to Italy, if you've ever been to Europe and you look up and the ceilings have these gorgeous paintings on them and they're, you know, um, surrounded by gold. It, it's exquisite, right? Well, this is what this, the ceilings are like, the walls are like in this place. It's just absolutely beautiful. There's amazing artwork hanging on the walls. And outside are all of these beautiful, gorgeous gardens. So until 2018, the great-grandchildren of the original owners of the Breakers, 
lived on the third floor. So I just think that is so fascinating that it was, you know, passed down through the family. Now, when we finish at the breakers, we can drive very slowly down Ocean Drive. This is a 10-mile scenic view of the coastline of Aquid Neck Island, the ocean itself, and some gorgeous, quote, summer cottages, unquote, that will simply take your breath away. These are the rich of the rich, and they have these beautiful homes here. And it is just kind of a peek at the life of, of you know, the wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. So as soon as we're done with all that, we're going to head now to Boston. Boston is a quick trip away from Newport, Rhode Island. And as homeschoolers, we have to see the Freedom Trail. So there are 16 stops on the Boston Freedom Trail. And you have this little brick pathway that shows you you can just follow it. And whenever you get to the stop, there's this round thing right in the sidewalk, built in the sidewalk. So you know what it is. There's the old South Meeting House, the old North Church, the Massachusetts State House, the site of the Boston Massacre, several churches, several monuments, and burying grounds. So, it, it, it oh, did I mention Patrick Henry's house? No, not Patrick Henry. He's from Virginia. Did I mention Paul Revere's house? It's on there, too. Now, close by to the Freedom Trail, which will take us a while to walk through, is the Boston Tea Party Ships Museum. Now, this is super fun because what we can do is we can get on one of the replica ships and they're live actors. And with them, we can relive the Boston Tea Party. So that's pretty exciting. Now, while we're here in the museum, I want you to look out over Boston Harbor and notice what an amazing harbor it is. Again, harbors are so significant for a successful, prospering city in colonial times. Because if you were going to prosper, you had to trade with other cities, you had to trade with other countries, and you had to have a port. So a harbor is a shelter place. And uh, these natural harbors along the Atlantic coast are just absolutely amazing. The ones along the Chesapeake Bay, I mentioned Annapolis, I mentioned Baltimore, and here is this other just amazingly beautiful harbor, the Boston Harbor. So a perfect place for ships to come in and out and be safe from the storms raging sometimes on the Atlantic Ocean. So one of the things that is really significant about New England is the next two states we're going to visit. When we think of New England, we think of these two states, we think of New Hampshire, and we think of Vermont. And a lot because this is maple syrup country, and they have these beautiful maple trees. And in the fall, the maple trees turn these beautiful red colors and sometimes purple, and they're just absolutely exquisite. And these states are beautiful year-round, but a lot of people love to come in the fall and see the autumn foliage and just drive through the hills, drive through the mountains and see it's just spectacular. So we are going to visit New Hampshire and Vermont now. Now, New Hampshire has the White Mountains and Vermont has the Green Mountains. And they both have quaint covered bridges and a lot of little towns, even villages. So you'll see farmland, you'll see these little towns, you'll see these little villages it really feels 
like we're leaving the hustle and bustle of the Northeast when we move into these sweet towns, we move into these sweet states. So we're going to take I-95 North from Boston into New Hampshire, and we're going to get off on some country roads, and you can go um, and find a road map, and you can map out our destination of how we should go. We're going to go to the the bottom of the White Mountains in Lake Winnipesaukee, and this is the largest lake in New Hampshire. We can go snorkeling. We can take a boat tour. The lake is filled with little islands, little bays, little inlets, and best of all, the lake is surrounded by magnificent mountains and lush forests. So if we want to go on a hike, there's all kinds of trails in the forest, and we are going to see some wildlife. We're going to see some animals in there, and we're going to explore different plants than maybe we've seen in our travels so far in the south, in the mid-Atlantic. It, it's different here. And the forests are deciduous trees that need the cold. So the leaves fall off and the, they turn colors in the fall and then they fall off and they bud in the spring. It's just really, really beautiful. Now, when we get, when we're finished with our visit around the lake and in the forest, there is a little place called Conway, and there's the Conway Scenic Railroad, and we can get on the railroad and kind of go through the mountains, and it's, it's just breathtaking and beautiful. Then, just north of Conway is a place called Storyland, and at Storyland, Humpty Dumpty, Goldilocks, and the Three Little Pigs come to life, and Storyland opened in 1954. They have rides and shows and performances and characters, just like all the theme parks we're so familiar with, except you can bring food and drinks into the park. As a mom of a big family, I really like that. Well, as soon as we finished a full day of fun, we're going to head to Stowe, Vermont. It's a straight shot across I-91. Thank the Lord for these amazing interstates. Now, why am I going to Stowe, Vermont? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, it's a very popular resort, especially for the winter for skiing. But it also has a dear place in my heart, and I'll explain why. Have you ever seen The Sound of Music? Well, The Sound of Music is based on a true story about the Von Trapp family who escaped from Austria when the Nazis took over. They ended up coming to America and settling in Stowe, Vermont. Eventually, they let guests visit them on their farm in Stowe. And so when their house burned down in 1980, they rebuilt a 96-room Alpine Lodge with lovely mountain views. So we can visit the Von Trapp Family Lodge we can also ski, get a massage, swim in the heated pool, or go hiking. So I don't know about you, but I want to meet some of the family members. I know that I'm sure most of them have the older ones. They're really older. They passed on, but I'd love to meet the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. And another thing about going to Stowe, Vermont, is that if you go in the winter, it is like stepping into a Hallmark Christmas movie. The town is adorable with white church steeples, weathered barns, covered bridges, colonial homes, and a ton of ski trails. Now, if you're a 
an expert. You can go on an expert trail. If you're a beginner, you can go on a beginner trail. But this is one of America's most popular winter resort towns. It's just very idyllic. When we finish in Stowe and just, I just want to spend a day, I think, just walking around the town and walking maybe up a little bit into the mountains. It is time to go to Maine. We're going to end our trip in Maine, and it's a long drive to the coast of Maine. So I think that we should take a flight. We can take a flight from Stowe over to Maine, and we can rest up in a hotel and get started in the morning. Well, good morning. This is our final day on our ultimate extravagant road trip in the Mid-Atlantic and New England states. Did you know the only place to see Atlantic puffins nesting in the USA is on islands off the coast of Maine? We can watch these adorable birds bring food from the water to the nest or relax on the rocks with their puffin friends. Summer is the best time for puffin sighting and whale watching. Now, the best way to explore Maine's craggy, rocky coast is from the water. So we could get on a lobster boat and we could help the lobster men haul traps. Or we could go deep sea fishing or take a windjammer cruise. There's so many different options to get out on the water. And one of the things I want to see when we get out on the water is the world's largest living creatures gracefully moving through the water and coming up for air. Amazing. What a beautiful sight. So let's just take our time here. Maybe we can visit a fishing village. Maybe we could visit Acadia National Park. But one of the things that I wanted to remind you of is we started our adventure in the largest estuary of North America, the Chesapeake Bay, and we are ending it in the Atlantic Ocean. Except for Vermont, all of these states were part of the original 13 colonies. They're full of history. The towns are super old. And we've seen how important the rivers and the bays and the ocean are to their livelihood and to their development. There's so much history left to explore in these states. And I hope you'll go back on your own and learn about all the little towns, when they were founded, how they were founded. Learn about all the history landmarks throughout this area. There's so many natural wonders to see and famous companies to explore like L.L. Bean in Maine and Ocean Spray and Dunkin' Donuts in Massachusetts. But that's for another time. Thanks so much for joining me on another Ultimate Extravagant Road Trip. I'll see you next time on our next trip, which is going to be to the Midwest. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.